0: his rejection in his hometown. So the question is to help us read our Bibles better and to understand what the story and the context of the story here, we must ask the question, why Luke gives us this story as the first event in Jesus' public ministry? And the reason why he's doing that is because this is a defining moment because it defines who Jesus is, and that's his identity, but also it defines what he came to do, and that's his mission. So Luke, he gives us his account, and he this incident because he wants to define what Jesus, who he is, and what he came to do. So let's dive right into the text. First, we see that Jesus comes back to his hometown. Uh, As you see uh, in the previous text, in verse 15, it says that he was going around and he was making a name for himself. So the homeboy Jesus, he comes back to his hometown, to the people that know him all too well. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And going to the synagogue on the Sabbath in Judaism will be the equivalent of what it is for us to go to church on Sunday. So that was his custom. So he will go there, and in the synagogue they will read a text from the Old Testament, and then that will be followed by some teaching. So Jesus comes, and then this is what he's saying. Look with me at verse 17. So they hand him the scroll of Isaiah, And he unrolls the scroll, and he finds the place. By the way, he knows his Old Testament pretty good, right? So he finds the place where the words are written. And look what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll, and then he sat down. And by the way, it's helpful to remember here that in the synagogue, when the rabbi, the teacher, will read the text from the Old Testament, he will stand, but when he will teach, he will sit down. So you can feel the drama building up here. The local boy Jesus, who they know him very well. They know his father is Joseph. They know his mother is Mary. They probably remember when he was 12, he got Uh, He stayed behind the temple and there was a commotion trying to find him. He's a carpenter. Maybe they've done business with him. They've been to birthday parties, to funerals, to weddings. So they know him very well. So he comes back. He shows to his hometown. And then he reads this text, which has huge significance for the Jewish people. Because this text is actually from Isaiah. which is a messianic prophecy prophesying about the coming of the Savior. So Jesus reads the text, sits down, and this is what he has to say. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So what is he saying to them? He's saying, Jesus is saying, I am the one God has sent to do this. It is me who can set the captives free. It is me that can give sight to the blind. It is me who can bring relief to the oppressed. It is me who can help the poor. I am the one God has anointed. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one, the one you've been waiting for, and I've come to set you free. The year of the Lord's favor is here. That means that God's transforming grace has come, and this is the beginning of the new covenant. Now, let's pause and reflect here just for a second. It's been 700 years since the prophet Isaiah prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. And people have been waiting for the coming of the Messiah for 700 years, seven centuries. And on this day, in a small synagogue, in a small town with probably less than 400 people, the Messiah has arrived. So who is this Jesus? He is the spirit-empowered Messiah, the servant of the Lord who has come to comfort the afflicted, to reach out to the outsiders, the misfits, the people on the bottom rung, offering transformation and the favor of God. And that offer is still open today. And look at verse 22. At first, they're blown away. They all spoke well of him. They marveled. And the story would have been great if it ended right here. But there's more going on, isn't it? Some of them started to say, isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, you can imagine them saying something along the lines, yeah, maybe I didn't change his diaper, but I remember him playing with my, with my sons in the playground." I know who he is. Is this the Messiah we've been waiting for for 700 years, the promised one? So at first it seems that they cannot get over the idea that Jesus is just a local boy. They're in a room where the Messiah has just announced his presence and his mission, and yet they miss the moment. And they don't miss the moment because of their ignorance. They know very well that this is a significant messianic prophecy. But they miss this moment because of the hardness of their hearts. And Jesus' preaching has this effect. It exposes the condition of our hearts so that the poor and humble and needy, they find transforming grace, but the proud, the self-seeking, the self-righteous, the self-sufficient, they take offense at him. So look in verse 23. And he says to them, Dallas, you quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Jesus is saying, I know what you are thinking. Oh, I, I know what you're thinking. You see, that don't say, whatever you did in Capernaum, do also here. Did you catch that? Whatever we heard you did in Capernaum, do also here. In other words, it goes to show that they didn't believe Jesus when he said who he is and what he has come to do. They're impressed with him. They marvel about what he said. But they ultimately don't believe who he is. So Jesus then tells them two stories. Look in uh, verses 25 to 27. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six Months And a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zeraphath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And to understand what Jesus is saying here, the key verse is verse 24. No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. So what is Jesus saying? So he reminds them with two examples from Scripture that at a time of famine in Israel, and you can find this story in 1 Kings chapter 17, God blessed the pagan widow woman in Sidon. He also reminds them at the time there were many lepers in Israel, but God only blessed and healed a Syrian general. And we can find that story in 2 Kings chapter 5. So what's different about these two pagans and the israelites the difference is this that these two pagans they believed the words of the prophet but the israelites did not so two prophets rejected by their own people bringing God's blessing to the gentiles and Jesus is using these stories to expose what's in their hearts and he reminds them of the of the prophet elijah and elisha who performed the miracles outside of the, their homeland And Jesus reminded them that God shows his favor and mercy to unlikely people, including the Gentiles. So basically, Jesus is saying, you are just like your fathers. You don't believe. God has sent me to proclaim the good news, but his word is not enough. You want to see a miracle. But guess what? God is going to deal with you the same way he dealt with your fathers. He's not going to give you a miracle because you have hard hearts. And having hard hearts in this text means that you don't believe my words. Now, did you notice in the word proclaim, repeat three times in the text of Isaiah? When the Messiah comes, his mission will primarily be to proclaim. Jesus came primarily to proclaim the good news, to proclaim liberty, and to proclaim the new covenant. Jesus is here primarily to preach and not to perform miracles. Yet for the people in Nazareth, they don't care about his message. They just want to see the miracles. So then all of a sudden we have this happy moment, turns violent. Look at the language in verse 28. They were filled with wrath. They wanted to throw him off the cliff and kill him. I mean, this is the biggest U-turn in history, right? They go from praising him in one moment to want to kill him the next. What happened? You see, what Jesus has just done is he has exposed that underneath the nice veneer of these people's response, Jesus perceives a rot. So he preaches to open things and to expose the problem in our hearts. You see, they wanted to receive the blessing of God and the good news, but they didn't want their enemies to receive it. For the people in the synagogue, good news for the Gentiles is actually bad news for them. That's how they perceive this. They don't want the gospel to be for all, but only for themselves. So therefore, they reject Jesus and his message and his mission. You see, the problem here is not Jesus. The problem is not the text from Isaiah. The problem is not what Jesus is doing. The problem is that the way they respond reveals what's in their hearts. So instead of being convicted of their sins, instead of like dealing with their unbelief, they decide to make this an issue about Jesus instead of their own hearts. They don't see their sin and unbelief as the problem. They see Jesus as the problem. And why is that? Because he just exposed what's in their hearts. He exposed their sin. You see, by all outward appearances, these people have it all together. They go to the synagogue, they read scripture, they spoke well of Jesus, they marvel at his words. But the moment that Jesus exposes their hearts, they want to kill him. And Nazareth foreshadows Jerusalem when another mob will cry out for his murder. And this time it will be successful as Jesus goes and dies in the small city Outside in a hill called Golgotha. But this text is for us today too. You see, after all, there can be many people who attend church. They want to hear from God's word, speak well of Jesus, even marvel at his sayings. But when he exposes what's on the inside, maybe we are quick to turn to excuses, justify our sin, cover it up, blame someone else, or point to someone else's sin. And sometimes that goes to show that maybe we're not that different from them either. You see, we might not want to throw Jesus off the cliff, but we disregard his word and his work in our hearts and in our lives. And that happens when we are proud. Jesus said that he was anointed to proclaim good news to who? To the poor. Do we ever see ourselves as poor and needy? Jesus said that he was sent to proclaim liberty to the captives. Do we ever see ourselves as people who need rescue? Jesus said that he came to give sight to the blind. Do we ever see ourselves as blind and needy? You see, the text uniquely helps us to understand our hearts through the lens of Scripture. But also it helps us to see, it helps us towards how we see the world and how we perceive the world and those around us? Do we see the poor and needy in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our work? Do we see the blind and the oppressed? You see, if we view ourselves as poor and needy, we will be compassionate. We'll be compassionate towards other people who are also poor and needy. And not only that, but in addition, moved by that compassion, it will also fuel our zeal to share the gospel with other people, with those who are poor and needy. But when we see ourselves in an honest way and we see the need as we share the gospel, we do that out of place of humility. We do that with humbleness. Because Jesus is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He came to proclaim the good news. But Jesus came to proclaim the good news not for those who have it all together. Jesus came to proclaim the good news for sinners, for people who are poor, blind, oppressed, captive, and sinful. But in God's kingdom, we cannot find that freedom and that liberty and that sight until we admit who we are. You see, Jesus doesn't call us to fix ourselves. He doesn't give us a few steps to eternal life. He doesn't call us to liberate ourselves by our own will and strength. He doesn't tell us to overcome sin by our own strength. He doesn't cause us to clean ourselves before we go to him. What Jesus is saying in this passage is that he is the Messiah. And because he is the Messiah, because he is the anointed one, he is the only one who can set us free from the dominion and power of sin. He He is the only one who can give us the eyes to see. He is the only one who can cleanse us from our sin. And he did that once and for all when he shed his blood and he died for our sin. And this is good news, isn't it? Yet for the people in the synagogue that day, it filled them with wrath. Why? Well, A, because their pride didn't allow them to admit their need for a savior. B, their pride didn't allow them to truly see the real condition of their hearts. So because A and B, they saw no need for Jesus or his saving work. Therefore, they just rejected him. Friends, let us admit our need for Jesus. You see, whether you're feeling tired, weak, oppressed, trapped in some difficult situation, and enslaved to some secret sin, acknowledge your need to God. And receive the grace that he so freely gives because Jesus was anointed to bring good news and he brings mercy and he, he brings grace and he brings forgiveness. And I recently heard one of our pastors, I was in a counseling meeting this week and he said something. He said, um, I find it profound. He said, the Bible is the only book that not only we read, but also it reads us. You See, the scripture has that amazing power So as we go in our weeks in our lives, how can we respond differently than the people did in Nazareth when we come and encounter the word of God and expose his sin in our hearts? It's one of the reasons why it's so hard to read the Bible. Because you might read and open it up and then it starts exposing some of the yucky stuff. And we feel uncomfortable to deal with that. So we just close it and run away. But maybe there's a different way. So instead of running away, disregarding God, let us remember that the word of God is supposed to do that. It's meant to do that. It's meant to expose what's on our inside. So when you find yourself in that situation here, remember the message of Christ. Believe what he's saying. Yes, he can show us our blind spots and our sins and our weaknesses and our failures. But also he has the power to set us free. And two, believe his perfecting work is in you. He came to bring good news. You see, when you read scripture, does he ever convict you of your sin? Does he challenge your attitude or interpretation of things? You see, if the sermon and the scripture only reinforce what you already know and believe, are you actually growing? So let this affliction bring you humbly to trust God who is doing a thousand things that you can't see. So let the afflicted find comfort in Christ. That is the message of the gospel. And you know what? This was not the last time that Jesus was rejected. Luke 4, verse 30. But passing through the midst, he went away. Friends, let's remember something. That Jesus walked away to eventually make his way to the cross where he experienced a greater rejection. But he did that for you and for me. This was the one who was sent and on the cross fulfilled his mission. Jesus was punished that we might be forgiven. He was wounded that we might be healed. He was made sin for our sinfulness that we might be made right and righteous by His righteousness. He tasted death so that we might share in His life. He was made a curse so that we receive the blessing. He endured our poverty so that we may share in His abundance. He bore our shame that we might share in His glory. He endured my rejection that I might have the acceptance of the Father, and he was cut off that we might be joined to God. Our old man was put to death in him so that the new man can be alive and we can have life in us. Jesus delivered us from sin and he exchanged his holiness for our sin that we might be set free and we have life in him. Isn't this amazing news? And I want to close with this encouragement for us this morning. I want you to remember this, in Nazareth, at first the people praised him, but after his teaching and and Jesus exposing their hearts, they wanted to kill him. That's pretty discouraging, right? But I also remind remind you of something else that's true, that there are people who reject Jesus, but in hearing his teaching and being exposed, what's in their hearts, they come to praise him. I know that to be true because I know that's the story of my life. And I know that's probably, for a lot of you, that's your story as well, right? So as we come to the end of this message, let us remember that this good news is not just for us. This good news is for everyone. This good news is to be shared with our friends and neighbors and coworkers and family. And for all the people we we encounter who are afflicted, and we can comfort them with the good news of the gospel. Because the reality is that as people who are rejecting Christ come and learn and are exposed on the inside, they'll come to praise him. That is our prayer. And when Jesus, in Matthew 28, he departed and he ascended to heaven, you know what the last thing that he did? He commissioned his disciples to be the ones. He anointed them to be the ones to go and proclaim the good news for the poor, the weak, the needy. And as his disciples, this is our job now to go and share this good news with others. We have been commissioned by Jesus to take the gospel and to proclaim it to the ends of the earth. But we can start by first proclaiming it to the context where we're at, in Fairfax, at our jobs, and family, and friends, and neighbors. Because we have now been commissioned by him to do that. So, That is the amazing news of the message of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we rejoice that you sent your Son, that you fulfilled that promise from Isaiah. 700 years later, you fulfilled your promise. Lord, thank you that you are a God who keeps his promises. Lord, thank you that you've come to set us free. Lord, thank you that you have given us and you have delivered us from the power and dominion of sin and death. And Lord, thank you that you have invited us to be part of your kingdom and to be your ambassadors to the ends of the earth. So Lord, I pray that you will help us to be in awe with who you are, that we will treasure this gospel that has saved us and changed our lives but also that you will help us to be filled with compassion and zeal to share the gospel with those around us. And Lord, I pray for the works that you have specifically for this church and for the people here this morning. Father, I pray that you will equip them and you will give them words of wisdom and discernment to know how to share the gospel and to, to be people that comfort the afflicted in our world. And Lord, yes, it's true, there are many people who are suffering all over the world and even in our communities, even though we might not be at war. But it's only you who can deliver us. It's only you who can give us hope. So Lord, help us to remember that and to fall on our knees and to ask you to help and to bless us as we proclaim this good news to the ends of the earth. And as we do that, may You be glorified and honored in all that we do, in public, in private, or in secret. Let it be done for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name.